Well, man, what a great morning it has been already. So let me just join in in saying Happy Easter. Happy Easter. Yes. You know, and it's interesting, I, I feel that we are a, you know, at a bit of a disadvantage today. Um, and you're like, well, why? Um, why? Thanks. We, we went to bed last night knowing that Jesus has risen. We went to bed last night knowing that we were going to come in here and, and celebrate that very thing. We didn't go to bed last night with any kind of question about that. Even if you're not a Christian, if you, even if you don't believe this, you probably have some exposure and you kind of know what generally Easter is about. I mean, there's kind of a great pastor joke the week of Easter. Hey, what do you teach it on? I mean, <laughs> resurrection of Jesus. My, my father-in-law gave me that joke last night, right? It's good. And a fist bump. So it's great. But so, so we went to bed last night knowing that. And so I want us to do a little bit of work this morning to, to get kind of in the right head and heart space to receive, to actually experience maybe a little bit in a little bit deeper and truer way, more personal way, the point of Easter, the point of what we are celebrating, the point, as Megan just said. We had an amazing Good Friday service um, this past Friday night, and, and that is much of what that time is about, is to really sit and contemplate and consider the, the death of Christ and why he had to die and that it was our sin that put in there. We, and it was an amazingly beautiful time. It was one of those times where you're like afterwards, you're like, hey, did you enjoy the service? And you're like, can I say yes? Because it's like we're talking about the death of Jesus and it's a lot, you know, it's a lot about you know, identifying with your own sin. So, but, but it was beautiful and it was meaningful. So, and, and we've had that time. And, and if you didn't experience that, if you're in town, I would encourage you to come next year. We'll do it again. But it was amazing. But, but I want us to get to Easter morning. That's kind of where we left off. We left off, you know, Jesus being in the grave and in, in the Sabbath of waiting. So if you will, imagine with me for a moment. Just imagine. Imagine that the man that you committed all of your life to, the man that was your hope, was killed. You had thrown your whole lot in with him. You left behind your jobs. It was all about this. You changed everything. You walked away. You'd experienced all of the exhilaration of, of, of seeing the miracles he did. You'd been through trials and tribulations. You, you, you'd been pressed together. You'd been transformed by his teaching. You had personal moments with him. You, you had heard the words of life spoken from his lips to you as he saw gifts and abilities in you that you did not, that you would have never dreamt of. You'd also received words of loving rebuke when you doubted, when you strayed, when you stumbled, and he did it with love to bring you into freedom and to equip you because he knew what was ahead to do his eternal work with greater capacity. You heard his words of grace in those moments. Your long-awaited Messiah that you had heard of for your whole childhood as if it were far off. And, and, and really, probably this wasn't this expectation that you're, in your lifetime that you would experience. This Messiah had come. This is the man you walked with. But it didn't go like you thought. 
He didn't establish a new earthly kingdom. He didn't dethrone a religious elite. He didn't come down off the cross at the last moment in the most dramatic fashion, which I'm sure you would have been awaiting for. Come on, all right, now, now, wait. He, wait, did he stop breathing? He died, like everyone else. So now what? I mean, uh, now what? You go and hide. You're confused. You doubt yourself and the choices you've made. You doubt him. You have the weirdest Sabbath you've ever had. Right? That was that day. It was Sabbath. It's this day of rest, this day of reflection, and yet, how are you doing any of that? You probably haven't slept in over 72 hours, really slept. Maybe you've dozed, but your brain is racing, never stops. You're not rested. Everything is upside down. And the sun peaks up on the dawn of the first day of the week. And you start to consider what your new reality is. You start to think, well, maybe it's just time to move on. Maybe. Maybe you're too wrecked to do that yet. But then, let me pray for us. God, I thank you for the reason that we are here today, to celebrate a risen Lord, a risen Savior, a victorious King. And I pray that as we come into this glorious truth Lord, of his life and death and resurrection given in your word, Lord, that it wouldn't just be Easter as usual. But that, Lord, you would open our hearts and our minds, and, Lord, that we would be stirred up to this truth of who you are, who Jesus is, and who we are because of him, who we can be. So, Lord, set our hearts on the things above right now. Captivate us. Give us nothing but a desire for your glory and your truth to be made known. I pray for each one of us in this room, whether, whether again, as Megan said, that we've been walking with you, we surrender our life, and we, we would call ourselves Christ followers, or whether we are skeptics, cynics, or you know, even just don't believe any of this, or it's just something that we engage periodically. And I pray that each one of us now would find ourselves before your truth, before the reality of who you are, and that we would be changed as we need and you know that better than we do. So we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's look at Luke 24, 1 through 12. We're going to look at some of the, just the, the narrative of Easter. It's going to be on the screen for you. Uh, there's Bibles near you under a chair. If you knew that, we also use the YouVersion Bible app. This passage is not in that, but uh, when we come to Romans later, it will be. Um, but feel free to go along with us. Luke 24. 1 through 12. So, so we're at this moment that we just led up to. It says, But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. 
Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking inside. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Are you there in this moment? Can you imagine what that would be like? What would your response be? Again, it's so normal for us to hear that Jesus is risen. It's so normal to just that that's the reality. Sit in this moment. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, for he is risen. All we've ever known is that Jesus rose from the grave. And I feel that allows us to often be stale in heart because of it. All over the world today, the church proclaims he is risen. He's risen indeed. And I just wonder how often it comes from a place of, of truth and experience and reality. Maybe you've said those words before. And guess what? We're going to say them later. But why does it matter? And I think this can help us. Why does it matter that Jesus died and rose again. It's not just some holiday. Why does it matter? We've been teaching through Romans um, at the bridge for a while. We're up to Romans 6.1. Go ahead and turn there if you could. We're going to continue in Romans today to answer this question of why does it matter that Jesus died and rose again? So Romans 6.1, uh, again, Bibles, screens, version, all that good stuff. While you're turning, just to kind of get us up to speed of how we've gotten to this point in Paul's letter to the church in Rome, he's been establishing that our, that our salvation is not by our righteousness, by our works, but by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, and that our salvation is by the righteousness that God gives to us, the righteousness of Jesus that God considers ours when we believe. When we confess and surrender and believe, that's where we're at right now. We're kept in our salvation by Jesus' righteousness, not ours. That's what, that's what Paul has just been hammering home. And it's beautiful. And so he comes to this verse in Romans 6, 1, and it says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And I always say that if you have not considered or asked this question, you have not began to grasp the magnitude of the, of, of the grace of the gospel of Jesus. This idea is like, well, hey, well, if it doesn't matter, if Jesus is the one who is, who's my righteousness, is he, if he's the reason that I have good standing before God, and actually in my sin I give cause for his grace to be even more apparent in the world, why does it matter that I even try? Why don't I just live what I want to live and, and hey, God is sovereign, his grace is sufficient, my, my eternity is secure in Jesus' righteousness. Why? If you haven't gotten to that point, maybe we should just dig a little bit more into grace. And I would encourage, I would encourage you to do so, but that's where we're at. Paul's simple answer is a resounding no, right? Why? So let's read uh, Romans 6, 2 through 4. His answer, by no means. He says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk 
in newness of life. So Paul's reason is that in following Jesus Christ, we've died as he did, and therefore we have also been given a new life in his resurrection. We live as he lives. That's the broad answer. All right, so let's, let's just dig in. Let's parse out a couple of pieces of this. We're, we're definitely taking broader strokes, but we're going to get the big pieces. So he talks about, he says, we are baptized into Christ. He says, you were baptized into Christ. This goes all the way back to the beginning. It goes back to the earliest days of the Jewish people. And if you don't know, there's two categories of people in this context. There's, there's the people of Israel, the Jews, and there's everybody else, and they're called Gentiles. So that's, that's the two divisions that, that there are. That's all that exists. And for a Gentile, when they came to believe in the one true God of the people of Israel, Yahweh God, they would, go, they would come and they would be baptized into the people of Israel. The same baptism that we think of, they would be baptized as a symbol into the people of Israel. And in that, they were saying, I am laying down my old way of life. I am laying down all that I considered mine and all that I lived for to, to live under the authority of and pursue the will and way of the one true God, Yahweh God, the God of Israel, of Jacob, this God, right? So they're saying it's the symbol of I am laying down my life, I am dying to my old self to become a, a new people. So it goes all the way back to that. That's, that's the context here. This baptism was a symbol of them leaving behind and becoming a part of. They were committing to live as the people of Israel do in every way. They were committing because it was who they were now. It was a new identity. And being baptized into the death of Christ, as we see here, we leave behind our old way of life. We give up our right. Again, what, did, what right did Jesus have? He descended from the throne. He humbled himself. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or held on to, but he said, I will, I will humble myself and take on the form of flesh of mankind. And not only their form, but also their weakness. And he submitted himself to death. That's the death like Jesus, that's the, we are baptized into his death saying we are leaving behind our old way of life. All that we thought we had right to lay claim to, we see is not so. We're not pursuing the things of the world. We're laying down any other sovereign other than our creator God. Charles Hodge says, it is a contradiction in terms to suppose that anyone should come to Christ to be delivered from sin in order that they might live in sin. Right? It just doesn't make sense. And so again, as we, as we say, we surrender to the will and way and to the person of Jesus. We're also saying we're surrendering to take on his way of life. So Paul then says that the glory or the power of God raised Jesus from the dead. So as we die, as we are baptized into his death, we're also raised with him in a new life purpose. As we're baptized into the life of Christ as well, we're saying we are Jesus' people. We do as he does. We care about what he cares about. Where he goes, we go. Where he goes, I go. This is much more than just an outward work. It's much more than just about our way of life. Paul proofs this truth by showing us that Jesus didn't just come to be a moral example of how to live life, but to redeem our souls and transform our hearts. His greatest work is internal, because that's where the eternal 
change happens. Romans 6, 5, For if we have been united with him in death, like in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So Paul says that our only hope is that we experience a death like Jesus. Like, that doesn't sound hopeful. But it's because in experiencing a death like Jesus, we also experience a resurrection like Jesus. When we see this word united, we see one of the greatest promises of the work of Christ is what's called the vital union, that we, we have this unbreakable bond because of the truth of God implanted in us and the Holy Spirit that seals us and holds us, that we, as it goes, here's the, here, let's just summarize this truth, is as it goes with Jesus, so it goes with us when we think of the work of Christ in those who are in him. So in a death like his, when we think of a death like his, we look at Romans 6, 6 through 7, as Paul breaks this down. He says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. So do you hear, do you register the magnificence of this proclamation in surrendering to Christ you're dead to sin. What does that mean? Like, that sounds like jargon. It just sounds like something that the church says. You're dead to sin. It means this. Sin is no longer your identity. It is just an activity. Again, yes, we contend with the flesh. We contend with the desires that, that, that lead us away from what pleases God. But yet, because God sees us as, the, and as having the righteousness of Jesus for those who have believed. It is no longer our identity. Our identity is in Christ. Sin is no longer your default. Again, even your, even your motives and desires are redeemed and changed. Yes, we contend, but the trajectory of our motive is towards holiness because that is in us. God put his truth in us and gave us his Holy Spirit to empower us and lead us to desire that. Sin is no longer bound around your neck. In the death of Christ, sin is defeated, so you are no longer guilty. How? Well, I mean, it's nice to say, but how? Like, we can't just say, okay, not guilty. No, you're actually truly not guilty anymore. Because to be dead to sin is not only a separation from sin, but a deadness to sin. As we see in Ephesians 2, you once were totally dead in your sin, unable to revive yourself, unable to reach for God. You were dead in your sin. But now, in Christ, you are dead to sin. Not just deliverance from sin's penalty, but also deliverance from its power as well. So we see it's not just about behavior. We're seeing that it's far deeper, it's far, it's far more real. We're talking about where we're moving towards this glimpse of what happens on the outside. It's because of what's new on the inside. Sin brings nothing but destruction and death. But yet we're talking about death in Christ. And so what does death in Christ bring? One who has died has been set free from sin is what we see here in Romans. 
So thinking about illustration, I was thinking, you know, I've had some, some dear loved ones, friends and family who are Christ followers who have passed away. And I've had a few of those who have gone through long struggles of sickness and ailment. And repeatedly, every time, the sentiment is this. You know, you kind of, how is it? Oh, how are you? Well, it's kind of bittersweet. It's bittersweet. You're like, well, you know, and it's like, well, why? Well, it's bitter because we mourn the separation we experience in death of a loved one. We mourn the physical time and proximity that we will not have. We mourn because in the deepest sense, we are reminded of the effect of a fallen world in sin. Death should not be. It is not part of what is good. But we say it's sweet because we know that in their death, for those brothers and sisters who are in Christ, that it's deliverance, that it's freedom, that it's healing. And so we see this picture here. In Christ, we have, we have died. In our death, we have been set free from sin. So this surrender in death is difficult, but it is where true freedom is. Jesus is speaking of his own death to come when we see in John 12, 24 through 25, and it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And that hate is just a, a, a comparative word is to say in, in comparison to if you value and long for anything other than the promise and person of God in Christ, you will lose it. So you see that in Christ, even death is redeemed. It is. We see, oh my gosh, it is not something to fear, but we see it's redeemed. The followers of Jesus in the same time in this time, they wanted earthly things, as we said. When we consider what we, what we strive for, what we turn to for refuge and hope, what we turn to for security and deliverance, left to ourself is always something of this world or, or something of our own strength. So our invitation today, right here, die to yourself. Die to the temporal promises of this world. Die to selfish ambition. Die to the fears of this world. Die to the enslavement of sin and the bondage that it brings. In this death in Christ, we are liberated. We are liberated from the effects, the penalty, and the sentence of sin. So will you surrender to Jesus? And be baptized into his death. But it says it's not just a death like his. It's also a resurrection like his. Romans 6, 8 through 10. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So the death, like Jesus, is a final death. It's a once and for all. This is, the, this is it. So this glorious surrendering and dying to self 
that is your final death. You're like, oh, wait, but we all stop breathing, right? There's a moment when that happens. But what we're talking about is Jesus conquering death, that death had no claim on him. For him, he resurrected physically. For us, we resurrect in our souls and our spirit, but also we have a day of that promise being fulfilled completely. Because Jesus conquered death, death has no claim on those who have surrendered and died to themselves in this life. We'll never die again in the greatest sense because the greatest work accomplished in Christ is in our souls. They are redeemed eternally. We are already living in our eternal, eternal blessed relationship with our Heavenly Father in Jesus Christ. So we have an eternal hope that is also very present in our experience. Our hearts presently are enlivened. They're, they're made alive to a life of present joy and hope. We all want this. We all want restoration. We all want to be healthy. We all like the idea of not getting winded. We all like the idea of being strong. We don't like the idea of what it takes to get there. I think I just used this illustration two weeks ago. Um, but it fits again. Um, but we don't want the work part. We, don't want, we want the life promised in Christ. But it is so terrifying to actually experience the death part. It's so terrifying to let go. The invitation is to be humbled Repent, confess your sins, lay down your life, call on Christ, be saved, find life for the very first time. And if you are in Christ, it is to live in that continued posture, to surrender. Aren't your hands tired? We find, we find it so much more satisfying and, and for some reason comforting to just keep it in our hands. We just think, man, I, I, I can do this. We may give lip service, but yet we often set out to do it ourselves and make God the spectator. But he wants us to see on the cross of Christ in the empty tomb that he has done the work. And he, he, with, he, he sustains the work. The cross of Christ is not just concerned with how you live but rather that you actually have life as you live. John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. We were created in love by a sovereign creator God for a holy purpose, for his glory, in fellowship. And Christ came to restore and reunite and to enable us to live out that purpose, and that is where we are satisfied. That is where we are free. So let's come back to our Easter narrative, okay? So Jesus has appeared to the ladies. They've ran back. They've told people Peter's, and Peter and John went to, the, went to the tomb and saw that it was empty. Then Jesus later appeared to two disciples that were not of the eleven on their way to Emmaus. And, and, and then all of a sudden he shows up, in the room where the 11 and the others are hiding out. And again, he just appears. What does he say? Luke 24, 36, it'll be on the screen. It says, as they were talking, this is the 11 and those with them, were talking about these things, talking about because these two guys had come back and said, hey, 
we saw Jesus. Our hearts were burning inside when he was talking to us, but we didn't realize it until the moment he revealed himself to us in the breaking of the bread. And so they're all discussing this, all that kind of has been going on that day and the day before. And he says, Jesus himself stood among them. And he said to them, what did he say? Peace to you. Peace to you. It's a proclamation. Do you remember what the last words the disciples heard Jesus speak on the cross up to this point? It is finished. And then he gave up his spirit and he died. That's the last words they had heard. And now he shows up and he says, peace to you. What does peace mean? Andy talked about it a couple weeks ago. We talked about it some more last week. It's this idea of shalom. It is that all is made right again. All is complete. So he's saying right here, it is complete. All is right. And he goes on to speak life and hope, and he, and, and he commissions them. It is complete peace to you because he has risen. Peace to you because the grave is empty. Peace to you because he died. You are not bound by sin any longer. Peace to you because he is raised. You have new life, a life of hope and joy and power. Power to glorify God, which is the ultimately satisfying thing in our life. Just like the disciples, we often look to this world for hope, for refuge, and deliverance. Just like the disciples, our expectations are way too small. Where we wanted, where they wanted, and we wanted an earthly place and position, God gave an eternal place and a far greater position. We are adopted as sons and daughters, made co-heirs with Christ to the riches of grace. So we have present and eternal hope. You've not been left to figure it out on your own. You are not alone. Jesus took on death because we were dead. Without his death, we were left to the grave, unable to revive ourselves. But because Jesus died, we can joyfully surrender because in this death, we find life. Instead, we joyfully down our lives to walk in this new, victorious in life in Christ Jesus. We lay down our lives unto salvation, and we live to God. So in a posture of daily surrender, we pick up our cross and follow Jesus. We follow Jesus to the hurt, the dying, the needy, the lost, to our brothers and sisters, to our mothers and fathers, our friends and our enemies, just as Jesus did. We serve a victorious king. We worship a risen Savior. So this morning, with all of the church around the world, let us resoundingly respond. As I say, he is risen. You will say and proclaim, he is risen indeed. He is risen. Let's do it again. He is risen. One more. He is risen. Amen. Let me pray. God, I... 
I pray for just for bondage to be broken today. Or for the hold that sin and death has over us. I pray that we would not succumb or, or lay dormant any longer, but that we would hear this promise. I cannot help but feel that my words are insufficient, God. So I pray right now that in your spirit, you would come, stir us up, illuminate your truth, Lord, that we would know freedom in Christ and we would live for your glory in this life, Lord, clinging, living out the hope that we have. We thank you that in the death of Christ, we are free from what held us back. In the life and resurrection of Christ, we are alive. As it goes with Christ, it goes with us. So Lord, we continue to worship now. I pray that we not only receive this truth of Jesus, but we also offer our lives in response. In salvation comes the mission. We are yours, in Jesus' name, amen.